And he answered and said, O unbelieving generation, until when shall I be with you? Until when shall I bear with you? Bring him to me. And they brought him to him, and having seen him straightway, the spirit convulsed him, and he fell on the ground and was rolling about, foaming. And he asked his father, How long a time is it since this has happened to him? And he said, From childhood. And oft times it casteth him both into fire and into water, in order that it might destroy him. But if thou art able to do anything, have compassion upon us and help us. And Jesus said to him, As to thee, if thou art able, if thou art able to believe, all things can be to the one who believeth. And straightway the father of the little child cried out with tears and was saying, I believe, O Lord, help thou my unbelief. And after Jesus saw that a crowd was running together, he rebuked the spirit, the unclean one, saying to it, Thou dumb and deaf spirit, I command thee, come out of him, and enter no more into him. And the spirit cried out and convulsed him much, and came out. And he became as, he, as, as if he were one dead, insomuch that many said he died. But Jesus took hold of his hand and raised him up, and he arose. And after he entered into a house, his disciples were questioning him privately, Why were we not able to cast it out? And he said to them, This kind can come forth by nothing except by prayer and fasting. And having gone forth from that place, they were passing by through Galilee, and he was not willing that anyone should know it. For he was teaching his disciples and was saying to them, The Son of Man is being delivered into the hands of men, and they shall kill him. And having been killed, he shall raise himself the third day. At that time, great crowds followed Jesus from Galilee and Decapolis and Jerusalem and Judea and beyond the Jordan. And seeing the crowds, he went up into the mountain. And after he sat down, his disciples came to him. And he opened his mouth and began to teach them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of the heavens. Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are they who hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall find mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are they who have been persecuted on account of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of the heavens. Blessed are ye whenever they reproach you and persecute you, and say every evil word against you falsely on account of me. Be rejoicing and be exceeding glad, for your reward is great in the heavens. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Beloved brothers and sisters, it struck me 
how much more poignant they are right now when we are separated physically and not together in the body. Each day when I say my prayers in the evening and remember each one of you, that, that prayer strikes more deeply to the heart right now because we're unable to see each other. The Divine Liturgy is a sacrifice of praise. It is a service of thanksgiving and worship. It is a gathering of the Church around our Bishop or the priest whom he appoints to offer thanksgiving and worship to God To participate in this sacrifice, which was offered once and for all on Golgotha, where Christ is the one who offers the sacrifice, He is the one who is offering, and He is the God who receives the offering. On one level, it's very strange to offer this service of gathering in a nearly empty church, when most of the people, most of you who are gathered, are gathered at home, saying your typical prayers watching through the feed, though you'll really watch several hours later since the live stream isn't active. But we can't be separated by space or by time. We are still gathered together. There's a prayer that Father Seraphim and I, and indeed every priest, always say during the third antiphon of the liturgy. It goes like this. O Thou, who has granted unto us these common and concordant prayers, and who has promised that where two or three are agreed in Thy name, Thou wouldst grant their requests. Do thou thyself now fulfill the requests of thy servants to their prophet, granting them in the present age knowledge of thy truth, and in that to come life everlasting. Truly, even though we're separated in space and even in time, we can join in our concordant and common prayers, for we are agreed in our Lord's name. And what is it that we ask? What is this petition we have? According to the words of this prayer, it is in the present age knowledge of God's truth, and in the age to come, life everlasting. This point is brought home clearly in the readings for this Sunday, and I wish to explain that briefly using a couple of examples. The main gospel reading for today was about this man whose son was possessed by a demon, and he brought him to the Lord's disciples, and they could not heal him. So the man comes running up to Christ when he descends from the Mount of Transfiguration, crying that your disciples could not heal my son. And the Lord, as it were, bemoans the faithlessness of the human race. He says, O faithless generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I bear with you? And ask him to bring his son to him. Perhaps he's speaking here of the faithlessness of the apostles. For having seen at that point so many miracles, so much direct evidence that our Lord not only was the Messiah, but also was God incarnate. Still they so much did not understand. Perhaps he's bemoaning the faithlessness of this man who having seen or heard of so many of our Lord's miracles, nonetheless preceded his request with the words, If you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. Perhaps he's speaking, or rather I know he's speaking, of the faithlessness of all of us. Having seen so many of our Lord's works, we nonetheless have trouble really believing 
that he can do everything. So Jesus turns this right back to the man. He says, if you can have faith, everything is possible to the one who believes. And the man humbled says, Lord, I believe, help thou my unbelief. Later, after Christ has cast out the demon from this boy, the disciples approach and ask our Lord, why couldn't we cast him out? In one of the other gospel accounts, he says, because of your unbelief. But he also says, what he says in this account, this kind can come out by no other means than by prayer and fasting. So we have to believe, we have to have faith, faithfulness to our Lord Jesus Christ. We also have to have prayer and fasting. We've explained before how these things are inseparable, how the one comes with the other. I don't want to focus on that now. If you have questions, you can ask. I want to bring up another story that was told this weekend, though, that tells the same message. And that is from the canons that we read at Matins last night. There are two canons appointed for this fourth Sunday of Lent every year. The first is a meditation on the story of the man who went down from Jerusalem to Jericho. And on the way, he was assaulted by robbers, robbed, beaten, and left half dead. A priest came by, a Levite came by, and neither could help him. But the good Samaritan came by, who of course is our Lord God and Savior Jesus Christ, and offered him healing. He saved him. He offered him salvation. We see a parallel with the demon-possessed boy, who the apostles could not help then, but our Lord offered him help and salvation. The canon that I read last night explained over and over and over again that that man, beaten by the robbers and left half dead, is each and every one of us, is you and I. And what are these robbers? What are we beaten by? Our passions. Our attachments. Those things that we give ourselves to and long for and strive for that we put in a place in our lives that belongs only to God. And they captivate us, they take us captive rather, and they beat us and they leave us in spirit half dead. The Holy Fathers explaining the story of the demon-possessed boy in the Gospel reading give exactly the same interpretation. They even say that where it says that he was sometimes thrown into the fire and sometimes into the water, that means that we're sometimes thrown into cold passions, such as despondency, and sometimes into hot passions, such as anger. So we are all slaves, or rather victims, of our passions. What does the second canon say? The second canon was dedicated to the memory of St. John Climacus, the author of the book The Ladder of Divine Ascent. And in this canon, it repeatedly meditated on the fact that St. John Climacus was able to conquer the passions to some very significant degree through prayer and fasting. Bringing us right back again to what that gospel reading said. We need faith in our Lord. We need prayer and fasting. The same message is seen in the epistle reading 
at the beginning of the first epistle reading, there's a reference to Abraham. And it says that Abraham... Let me find the quote. After he had patiently endured, obtained the promise. If you think of Abraham's life, he was given this amazing promise, but then spent the rest of his life wandering throughout um, the land of Canaan. But he obtained the promise... Indeed, the promise given him was our Lord and God and Savior Jesus Christ. After he patiently endured, he obtained the promise. What is this patient endurance, if, if not that prayer and fasting with faith? And that is what we are to a large degree called to in this life. That is why in that prayer that I mentioned, that we read in the liturgy, we said, what do we ask for? In this life, the knowledge of thy truth. In other words, the knowledge of our Lord God and Savior Jesus Christ and the salvation He brings. And in the life to come, life everlasting. We're not looking for the promised land here. Our hope is in the next life. And this is why every Sunday we celebrate the resurrection. This is why in the creed we say, I believe in this and this and this. It's all about God. I believe in God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, the Church, baptism. And it says, I look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the age to come. That word, look for, is a weak translation. It should say, I yearn for, I long for. That's what it really means. Because that is where our hope is. And that's what it speaks of in the end, the beautiful, powerful end of today's epistle reading. This hope we have as an anchor of the soul both sure and steadfast, and which enters the presence behind the veil, where the forerunner has entered for us, even Jesus, having become high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Do you see it? That's where our hope is. Our hope is in the resurrection in the life to come. And to get there, we need patience. Patient endurance, prayer and fasting, faith and faithfulness to God. Every day, many of us in our morning prayers say this beautiful prayer called the Prayer of the Ultimate Elders. And two of the lines in, the, in that prayer are this. Grant me, O Lord, that with peace of mind I may face all that this new day is to bring. Whatsoever tidings I may receive during the day, do thou teach me to accept tranquilly in the firm conviction that all eventualities fulfill thy holy will. In other words, when surprises come during the day, help me, O Lord, to know that it comes from you. A lot of surprises have come to us recently. And we're called to patiently endure these things, knowing that it comes from God. Whether He directly sends it or simply allows it, because our sins have brought it on in this fallen world that has fallen because of our sins. He allows these things. But all these things, all these eventualities, all these tidings will pass away. They're not the end game. Here on this earth is not where our hope is. Our hope is in the heavens. This is our land of wandering, like Abraham's land of Cain. Usually we're called during this time of year to a certain measure of endurance, of prayer, fasting, and almsgiving. We're called to endure a certain measure of hunger, or possibly just of longing for certain foods that we like a lot 
and are not in vain. We're called to endure a certain increased measure of prayer, of long prayer vigils, such as the service for the great canon that is appointed for this coming Wednesday, where your legs get tired and you get bored, but there's vanity. We're called to increase our giving and our almsgiving. We're called to greater spiritual labors and to strengthen us in that we're usually called to partake more often of the Holy Mysteries. And it, on the surface, this year seems rather different, but at its core, it's no different at all. We are called to a measure of hunger, not only being physically hungry by observing the fast and abstaining from certain foods that we enjoy, but also abstaining from other things we enjoy, social engagements, beloved activities, simply seeing people whom we love. That itself is a fast. The monks of the Sinai Monastery that we hear about in the life of St. Mary of Egypt used to spend every Lent going out, out of their monastery into the desert by themselves so they had no services and they didn't see anybody. In a sense, we're imitating that, perhaps. Not because we chose to, because it was sent to us. We're called to a greater labor still of prayer, only prayer at home, prayer with our families. It's a harder thing. it's a harder labor, because you don't have the strength of people around you. But you do, because our mutual prayer, one for another, does strengthen us. You just can't feel it as clearly. And so, we have this endurance now of this, this path. We're even called to fast from the Holy Mysteries for a while. And even in this we can find strength, because God strengthens us, strengthens us through means that He knows. In all of God's inscrutable providence, let us remember as we celebrate St. John, who wrote the Ladder of Divine Ascent, the first rung of that ladder, that ladder ascending to this eternal heavenly kingdom where it is our hope, that first rung is described slightly differently by different authors. St. John says it's renunciation, renouncing your own will. Our Lord in the Beatitude says it's humble-mindedness, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. It comes down to the same thing to start our spiritual journey and admit we're all still trying to climb that first step. To start on the spiritual journey toward being able to enter into that eternal life that we ask for. The first thing we need is to renounce our own will and acquire humility. And perhaps this virus afflicting us was sent to help us in that very thing. Or perhaps it wasn't. We don't pretend to know. But we do know that all things work together for good for those who love God and who are, I forget the rest of the quote. Um, all things work together for good. And so with many, many of the saints, let us shout out together, glory to God for all things. And let us embrace in the way it has been given to us the remainder of this Lenten struggle, focusing on fulfilling God's commandments with faith and love. May God help us. Amen.